Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 384, recorded February 5th, 2023. And today we've got a couple of threes for you. we got Lower Decks 3 and Resurgence 3. Yes. So we get to wrap up the uh, Lower Decks Dracula storyline. And Resurgence keeps plugging along. Right. Yeah, so the last time we did uh, Lower Decks was way, 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 way back. Hmm. Not way back. It's really not that long ago. Right. Um, it was like, when did we do it? Oh, here we go. 376. So not quite 10 issues, ago, 10 episodes ago. Oh, wow. That was a while. Yep. Well, so. it's good that we're back to it, and we wrap up the storyline. Yeah, and, you know, this story was funny, but eh, is it all that memorable? It, I mean, it's not a Picard Stargazer type of yeah. it's where you're like, oh, I can't wait for the next one. Because obviously we waited 10 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was okay. It was fine. Yeah. It's, it was serviceable. Sure, sure. It was good. It was all right. Yeah. Whereas I think issue three of Resurgence left us in a bit of a cliffhanger. Well, yeah, every episode ends on a big cliffhanger on that one. Yeah. So in two, they were captured, and we find out that Leah Brahms is not being held by captive. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then then we start up this new one, which, again, leaves you on a cliffhanger. So I'm excited to hear what happens next on that one. Yeah, I'm liking Resurgence. And the good news is is that we're not going to wait a while. We're going to do issue four next episode, so don't have to wait that long. Cool. And so this is the prequel, as the cover, today's cover reminds us, to the game. So it's going to be interesting to see exactly where the game picks up. Right. Narratively. Yeah, and I sure wish they would release a a release date. Just tell tell us when it's coming out. Oh. I did buy the Prodigy video game here recently, but I have not gotten around to playing it yet. Hmm. So that's on the normal, you know, big boy platforms? Yeah, yeah. On on your Xboxes and Playstations and whatnot. Cool. Although it, it was a cheaper type game. It's not it's not a AAA game like I think Resurgence is going to be. Yeah. And the, the style of, the graphical style, I mean, it's, a, it's based off of a cartoon, so doesn't have right. to be overly uh, detailed. Right. Cool. So, yeah. But as soon as it comes out, I'll, I'll play it and let you know. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> but uh, you want to get into the today's stories? Let's do it. So, Resurgence, number three. Published date, January 2023. Writer is the same. Everything, well, probably most of it's the same as the first two issues. But Andrew Grant and Dan Martin are the writers. Artist, Josh Hood. 
colorist Charlie Kirchhoff, letterer Neil Yataki, senior editor Heather Antos, editorial assist by Vanessa Rial. Three covers. Cover A features Commander Sutherland with a bloody nose and a pissed off look on his face as nine Talarian guns are pointed at his head. Actually, if you take a closer look, they, they're not quite all Talarian guns, but we'll talk about that later. Cover B features Captain Solano and his away team in stealth mode against a bulkhead. Their bodies are against a bulkhead as a burly looking Talarian is about to come through the doorway. And this cover is by Carlos Nieto. Retailer Incentive cover features Dr. Leia Brahms staring at a crystal that is the key to unlocking her next-generation Starship engine breakthrough. Behind her is Hector, Captain Hector, waiting for her to make the breakthrough so he can steal it from her. Behind them is the USS Resolute, and behind it is a Starfield, cover by Josh Hood. Thirteen years ago, we were reminded of Captain Juno Endar's experience as a young man with Captain Picard on board the Enterprise-D. Picard is whisking him away to Earth by way of the holodeck on the Enterprise-D. And speaking of his hopes for a galaxy that can reap the benefits of peace and cooperation. Now. So, present. Time. The Resolute is being fired upon by multiple Talarian ships. Outnumbered, the ship and crew does not have much time left. In the Talarian research facility, Captain Solano and his away team are in a standoff with Captain Hector and three of his soldiers. Dr. Brahms watches on helplessly. Captain Jono enters the room and plays a gambit to get Hector to stand down by telling him the Resolute was able to get an encoded message off to Starfleet. He tells Hector, do not do something that cannot be undone. Brahms makes it clear she will not work on the new warp drive any further if he destroys the Resolute and crew. Hector calls off the attacks, but says Captain Solano's actions mean war. Brahms explains she is working for science and progress. They can all benefit from this new generation of repulsion. And the Resolute can help since its warp reactor is ideally suited to implement her latest generation of the tech. Also, it can refine the dilithium isotopes they need far more efficiently than any Talarian equipment. Solano protests because he says he knows how the Talarians will use the new engine in that massive warship the Talarians are building. Brahms says Solano has no choice but to cooperate. Hector says they will use the Resolute as long as it serves the purpose Brahms has described. After that, Hector says no disobedience will be tolerated. Solano and his away team, Brahms, and lots of Talarian security guards shuttle to the Resolute and begin helping Brahms conduct her experiments there. Solano tells his crew to cooperate with the Talarian occupation. While the captain gives them time, Commander Sutherland begins working with the senior staff to come up with alternatives. They realize the Talarians are stealing 
quantum torpedoes from the ship's stores and formulate a plan to use one of them to temporarily disable Captain Hector's ship. Sutherland tells his unusually attractive female guard that he needs to see Juno Endar and she needs to take him. Sutherland tells Captain Endar that Hector is stealing quantum torpedoes, which was never part of the deal. Sutherland asks if Hector intends to let them leave, and Captain Endar confirms he will not. Sutherland wants help from Endar, but he says he cannot go directly against Hector, and besides, he has already helped Sutherland. He lied to Hector about the Resolute's SOS getting through to Starfleet. His people were able to block the signal, so no one is coming to their rescue. Da-da-da! In a veiled way, Captain Endar says, after the losses they sustained in the Dominion War, the Talarians may not be able to survive if all they do is wage war. Sutherland tells him he has a way to free the Resolute, but that will not help him if it's packed with Talarian soldiers. Sutherland and Endar hatch a plan where Sutherland will fake a plasma breach which will give Endar a reason to give the evacuation order to the Talarian soldiers on board. They shake hands. Sutherland gets back to the Resolute, and they execute their plan. They are almost caught by a Talarian soldier, but the Vulcan chief engineer does the old nerve pinch trick and lets them continue. The modified torpedo is taken to Hector's ship. After it's all cozy over there, they activate it, which disables the Talarian vessel without killing anyone. Hector immediately says, He needs another ship! Sutherland gives Ermot the order to sound the plasma breach alarm. The Talarians are beamed off the Resolute, and Sutherland gives the order to set course for Federation space. Captain Solana was not happy with Sutherland hatching this plan and forcing him to break his word to the Talarians. However... The inbound Talarian ship forces Captain Solano to cut the recrimination short and gives the order for best impulse speed out of there since the warp engines are offline due to the experimentation. Solano says they are running for their lives now. Cut to the Talarian asteroid base as the massive Talarian battleship emerges from its cocoon ready for battle. To be continued ugliest ship ever <laughs> it is ugly <laughs> it really is so they're, they're they're trying to telegraph to you that it's it's partially stolen federation technology i guess because they got a big old saucer section on it right but the rest of it is really whacked looking yeah so i have all the bits that you're going to borrow from the federation in order to help make leah brahms warp drive mm-hmm why steal the saucer section and not the engineering section? It just uh, doesn't make sense. I don't know, but I think this ship has been under development a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, the idea of using Brahms's engine in it is a newer one. Because <laughs> it probably took them a while to develop that beast, that Hulk. Right. And it is pretty ugly. And you keep calling it a beast and Hulk, but we saw in the last issue it didn't look all that big. Because it's... It showed people like looking um, at it. it and I, as I said when you said that last time, <laughs> it depends upon how far away they are 
from it. I mean, yeah. the, the, I mean the, people, are, the people were in the foreground. It's a big asteroid, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the people were standing on a, you know, on a, on a platform or something away from it, and then you saw it in the distance. But, and, but exactly how far away it was from the, from the platform they were on, you know. Right, right. It, it may just look small. And who knows, maybe it isn't small, but come on. I, I, I think they're trying to say, especially the way they have it emerging from the asteroid, is uh, they're making it up like it's a big ship. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Which doesn't make it a good ship. But, I mean, it's, it's not like the Resolute is, is a ship of the, is a, one of the, is a flagship of the Federation. Right. You know, it's cobbled together using parts from, uh, from an Excelsior-class ship, which is like 100 years old or 90 years old or whatever. I don't know. Is are you? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when we talked that, about this last time. Didn't I we? thought that was uh, that was the Star Trek uh, ongoing. The Theseus. Oh no, the Theseus is totally new. Mm. Well, I mean, totally new, mostly new. No, no. It, if you take a look at the Resolute, it's a Centaur class a starship, mm-hmm. and it's using the saucer section from an Excelsior class, and I. I think it's using the engines too, and then that that bow like thing, the the bow like uh, engine they sell things. I think it's fr- that's from some other ship, like a like a Reliant class, or I don't know what it's from. But it's it's cobbled together. It was cobbled together during the Dominion War. Oh, okay. They needed more ships, so they cannibalized parts from older ships to create the Centaur class. And the only reason I, I know that is because, you know, they give you a whole book with the Eagle Moss ships, and I have, a, I have one of the Centaur class models, right. so I read all about them. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So it's not, the Resolute is not the most powerful ship around, but it has yeah. quantum torpedoes, so nothing to sneeze at. It looks cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks better than this thing, than the Tellurian <laughs> ship. Right. I like how each issue kind of starts with a little flashback. So we got Jordy last issue, and we get uh, Picard in this one. Yeah, it was good because you had to be reminded of who Jonah was and the fact that Picard obviously made an impression on him. Right. And where Hector wants to just destroy everything and conquer everything, Jono, Jono, Juno, I don't know, however you pronounce it. Uh, obviously is somebody that is more diplomatic. Right. He's a good boy. He's a good boy. You're a good boy, Jono. So you were you wanted to mention of the, the guns on the cover? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I didn't notice that until this morning, just before we started recording, but many of the guns pointing at Sutherland's head are just general black, nondescript, you know, gun barrels and things. However... I took a closer look as I was speaking to you, and I was like, oh, I recognize, you know, three of the guns pointing at, at, at Endar's head. And they're, they're not necessarily from Tolarian origins. Okay, so if you take a look at Sutherland's head, the one at the left pointing directly at his, at his ear, uh, coming out from the left side of the cover, that is just a Discovery phaser rifle, TV show Discovery. And it's just upside down. Now, is that the one with the scope? Or oh, wait, that's a flashlight. A flashlight? Yeah. That's what it, 
So, yeah, so if you, if you take a look, and I've got one of these, so I'm kind of looking at it right now. But if you look at the Discovery Phaser rifle, they've got the three, like, emitters, just like the phaser pistols they use. And then it's got that cowl over the top, which in this case, it's under the bottom, because they've got it flipped. And then it's got a flashlight. So that's kind of clever. I mean, you know, they just, it's kind of like how they came up with the, um, oh, the, okay, so the NX-01, of course, we all love the NX-01, and it has a certain look, and it's kind of has the, the, no engineering section, it's got the, got the engines kind of flared upward, and they just flipped that over to come up with the, um, uh, I'm having a mental block on the uh, on the ship class. Yeah, that Deep Space Nine one. Um, I, I know what you're talking about. Well, it, yeah, it was one of the ships that was in the um, first contact uh, battle at the beginning against the Borg. Oh, right. Yeah, and then they used it again during the Dominion Oh, Akira. Shots. Akira, Akira class. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, you know, it's amazing how much you can, can get new ideas or new looking ideas just by flipping things. So that's what they did here. And then beneath that is a barrel that looks an awful lot like a, uh, a Halo rifle. Uh, you know, machine gun. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Uh, and then on the other shoulder, you know, directly across from the other opposite side of, from where the Halo gun is, there's a machine gun snub nose with a, a Picatinny uh, rail at the top. And basically, that, that's a P90. It, it's got some extra stuff on the bottom, but that's basically a P90, which is a real submachine gun, uh, Belgium manufacturer, and that's what they used in Stargate uh, SG-1 TV show for, you know, like, like decades. What, ten, 10 years, I think they, 10 seasons they had? Mm. And they always used uh, a P90. With all these extra bits glued on, or just Well, okay, so the Picatinny rail at the top, yes, definitely. And then... On the side, that's a place where you could put another one of those types of mounting things for scopes and other kinds of things, but they don't have that on this one. It's just the, the, the bare, their bare metal. It, but it's the bottom part that's the most different. So the bottom part has a big kind of uh, place to put your hand, you know, to grab it, like kind right. of uh, oval-shaped kind of sort of uh, hand grip kind of thing. Mm-hmm. They don't have that on the uh, P90s. It hmm. looks quite different on the bottom. Okay. Anyway, I just just like oh hey a discovery uh, phaser rifle. I didn't notice that. Okay. Yeah, I would not have I would have not uh, recognized the discovery one. I did recognize the the halo looking one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it looks so much like a halo gun. Right. And we have all had experience with halo guns. That's yeah, a good good game. Yeah, it's a great game. I love that. Me and the the kids. That was one of those games that we all played together, and they kicked my butt, of course, but uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> all right, so um, did you like how Sutherland was contradicting the, the captain's direct orders and assuming that he yes meant, or no meant yes, and <laughs> do meant don't? And... Well, right, so he took it that... Captain Solano gave them the time they needed to try to retake the ship. Where Solano was saying, we're cooperating with them. 
you know, we're going to get this, you know, we gave them our word. We're, we're helping with the experimentation with, uh, yeah, exactly. And then I completely got the, got the idea that it was a good solid justification. Is that the right word? I think it is. Yeah, something like that. A good solid meaty justification saying, oh yeah, the captain gave us the time to do what we need to do to take the ship back. So let's do, let's figure something out. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's like Solano, I don't know. Solano just seems a little naive to me. Because... I keep wondering if he's kind of in on it. Because, I mean, he worked with Brahms in the uh-huh. past, so maybe yeah. he's got the oh. what-if-this-really-does-work kind of vibe yeah. going on. And he really wants to see her succeed, even though he knows it's, it's wrong and dangerous. Okay, I agree with that. I thought you were saying that somehow he was engineering some of these things to happen. No, but, no, 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 no. But you're saying... You know, he really wants her to succeed. He wants his name in the in the in the history books along with hers, and so he's going along with it, even though he is ignoring the fact that Hector is a pretty one dimensional bad guy with facial burns and everything. That guy's not going to let anybody go. Right. He's flat out said that he's not going. Yeah, but you're and, going and along the, with it anyway. And yeah, the captain's still like, yeah, hey, we gotta we gotta help Leah Brahms. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if he's wanting to do it for he wants his name in the history books right. or just he wants her to succeed and well, he's kind of okay, turning a blind say. eye to what he, what really needs to happen or what's really going on. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he, he obviously it's highly likely that in the end the ship and crew are going to be killed. And one of the top priorities of a captain is to safeguard his ship and crew. So, you know, I don't know. I, I agree with you. Solano's kind of turning a blind eye. It's just that look at the consequences of the blind eye. I mean, it's almost like, you know, how, how good a captain is this guy? Right, right. Yeah, and I'm thinking, I'm going to have to play a whole game with this guy, and I'm going to have this in the back of my head that he's made bad decisions in the past. Well, since this is a prequel, do we really know uh, the, the, the crew situation when the game starts? I think I've seen, I think you've seen him in the trailer, so okay. I'm pretty sure okay. he's in there. Okay. Cuz quite frankly, it's, it looks to me like uh like Sutherland is, you know, gunning for Solano's job to me. Right. Yeah, and, and in, indeed in the end, Sutherland is making the right moves. Uh and of course, he's supposed to be your player, right? I mean, you're supposed to be that yeah. character. Right, I think so. Which kind of makes sense, you know. He'd be making the right moves. I mean, he's supposed to be you, the player. Right. Right. But it's like, I don't know, Solano, I, J. Jameson lookalike. I, I don't know if that's wise. <laughs> it really does look like J. Jonah. Yeah. So, anyways, so uh, you, uh, so did you like all the subterfuge with him, like, talking in code to everybody and, oh, I need you to help drain the whatever, whatever from oh. the shuttle. And she's like a security person. And she's right. Like, you want me to? <laughs> oh, yes. I should do that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I mean, come on. It's, it's you know, Hogan's Heroes time or something. That's, I thought it was great. <laughs> That's funny. And what about that little sexual tension between Sutherland and his Tolarian guard, who just right. happens to be hot? Well, I mean, it's, it's the future. All, all women are hot in the future. <laughs> Men can be as ugly as hell, but... Uh, but women? <laughs> you can't show an ugly woman. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. No, no, it's funny. And then it, it kind of makes more sense. You know, he 
for the first several people that he talks to, you think, oh, he's getting away with it. And then you kind of find out in that elevator that she knows what he's doing and she's just kind of like going with it because she has her other orders from Juno. Right. And she may uh, agree. She may be more aligned with Juno's way of looking at what the future of their, their people are as opposed to Hector. Right. Yeah, definitely. I got that that vibe. Yeah. So, yeah, I like that. I like he's not as slick as he thinks he is. <laughs> you know, I know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm not going to stop you. All right. That's good. And, and not only not stopping, but. He she takes him straight to Juno to have a conversation directly. So yeah, she actually helps. Yep. Yeah, I thought it was funny. Yeah. So how about that ugly shuttle? I guess that's a Tularean shuttle at the beginning that they're taking over to uh, when they first return to the uh, yeah yeah to the ship. yeah. It looks like a, a uh, yeah. It's so ugly. It's ungainly looking. <laughs> it, it looks like a like a cigar box with. With nacelles, I don't know what it is. Yeah, it, it's and it looks so thin and really long. It's it's ugly. <laughs> yeah, it's a good size shuttle. I mean, that's bigger than. Yeah, that's. Would you yeah. say that's bigger than a runabout? I, I would say it's definitely. I don't know, a runabout maybe. Definitely oh. longer than a, a normal shuttle. Definitely longer than a normal shuttle. Now the runabout has a lot of space in the back that we normally don't see. Right. Matter of fact, we never see all that space back there in Deep Space Nine, which is interesting. I mean, it wasn't yeah. until uh, a TNG episode that we actually saw that the back area of a runabout is like, geez, pretty big. Yeah, that one where Picard and Troy go back to Earth for some reason. Is, yeah, that, they, is that the one you're talking about? They're on their way to someplace. I don't remember. Yeah. Where. But they're like, they're, you know, at this long dinner table or whatever and it's like wow roomy where's the <laughs> fireplace just have a holographic one now right so is that a holographic one in pike's quarters because i gotta sell you pike's quarters are pretty pretty sweet yeah it's uh, so big a hell of a lot nicer than kirk ever had yeah i guess i guess after pike's done with it they're like you know what i guess there's gonna be a big fire in <laughs> from that some coals fall out of that thing and that's then, uh, it catch that's the whole it. ship on fire and they they refurbish it to look like the 60s ship and right. they're like eh, no more fires in the in the borders <laughs> no, no, no more fires in a spaceship <laughs> yeah w- w- where oxygen should be like a really prized commodity exactly and exactly. you're uh, and you're just burning it up and burning a, it up and a central burning fire up. thingy <laughs> nice quarters though Spock's quarters aren't bad either but man pikes are nice yeah everything's more spacious and nice I mean the the, the sick bay or not the sick bay the um, mess hall that they're going to show in season 2 yeah uh, I saw some footage of it and mm-hmm. it looks so much nicer than anything in Kirk's time <laughs> <laughs> it looks better than 10 forward I mean it's huge yeah well you, you gotta size up don't you super size me Hmm. I'll be honest. When I was reading this, and uh, every time the Vulcan came on, the uh, the engineering Vulcan, uh-huh. yeah. for whatever reason, it always took me a minute to remember who this guy was and not confuse right. him with the uh, the guy from the the twenty twenty two Star Trek series. Oh right, yeah. And I was like, oh, this is the Vulcan that 
is something other than Vulcan. Oh, no, that's not him. No, uh, different. This is the Vulcan that was running through all the corridors with Jake. Oh, no, that's not him. No. <laughs> uh, this is the guy that was bitching about having wires on the floor. Yes, that was him. That's him, exactly. Who, who, who doesn't like the uh, science officer or whatever. Right, exactly. So I don't know. I, this whole book, I had a hard time. Every time he came on, I, was, I had to take a minute to, who's this guy? Yeah. Which I guess is the bad thing when, you know, not to be specious, but a lot of Vulcans look the same. <laughs> and they all have the same mo haircut, same ears. <laughs> Good point. Uh, and when you don't know who they are yet, I mean, I haven't played the game, so he has zero memories to stick onto. It's mm-hmm. just background Vulcan. Oh, actually, well, hold on a second. I'm looking at him again. He doesn't have a mo hair. I don't think he has a Mo Howard haircut. Yeah, it's a little different. He's he's got a little bit of a, uh, a part on the on the on the side a little bit, and then swept across. Right, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, but it's still you know the same. It, it, it's it's similar. Yeah, right. You're right. I was being a little speciest. I'm not, I'm not lying. <sighs> I, I hope I hope none of the Vulcans listening are mad at me. <laughs> but since they don't exist, I don't. I think, I think you're okay. Exactly. <laughs> So one of the things about Star Trek characters in general, and mm-hmm. especially these guys, uh, aliens, yeah, does the hair go underneath the uh, the bald cap, or is that where the hairline is? Well, that sometimes girl, it looks like hair comes out from underneath it. Especially that female guard, right? Uh, that really looks like the hair is coming out from under the bald cap. And I can just keep thinking, oh, well, that'd be, you know, it'd be a pain in the butt to keep clean. And, uh. <laughs> and uh, when you want to get your hair dyed, you have to get underneath the flap. Well, I don't. I, I really don't think that's the way it's supposed to be. But that definitely looks that way, right? It does. And then that guy with the beard also looks that yep. way too. I agree. I completely agree. And when you th- wouldn't, I mean, it. You know, hair comes out from your scalp and then goes back. This looks like it's coming out underneath. You know, the bone thing. Right. It just doesn't look right. It just doesn't look right. <laughs> okay, so looking in the future. The most logical thing to happen next, since they're only down to impulse power, and they're going to be sitting ducks for the Tolarian ships. Um, right. The only thing that makes sense, uh, although this is too easy, is that uh, Brahms is able to get the uh, experimental engine thing to work. And yep. they're able, at the last minute, they're able to... Uh, you know, extremely fast warp out of there. No one can follow them because they're going that fast. And, right. you know, the photon torpedoes from the Tolarians or whatever, they just, they, they hit empty space where the Resolute was just scant moments ago. Yeah, 100% that's how it's going to be. Okay, but that's so obvious. Right. Yeah, we've seen it before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no. I, I wonder if they're going to clever it up a little bit here. I'm betting no. <laughs> okay, and uh, yeah. I, I have uh, we haven't even got the new book yet. I don't have a new book yet, so we really don't know. I don't think it's out yet. I think yeah, it comes out next so week. we really we do not know at this point. We'll right. See. We'll see what happens. Yeah, no, I I, I am quite sure it's going to be like. The protostar, or whatever you know, we saw that on Prodigy so many times. Just yeah. at the last minute, it transforms and shoots off. So <laughs> that's what I'm. That's what I'm banking on here. Yeah. Okay. 
I got nothing else to say. My last comment is about the artwork. Yes. Um, they're not page numbered, but you know, there's that one page. It's like very little dialogue. They're doing their their things, and it shows like what looks like Saturn. Oh yeah, it's like right. Saturn behind a planet, right. and then there's a sun behind that. Yep. What is that? Is is what's that thing in the foreground? That's it's like a ship, and then a planet that we can see through for some reason. Saturn, and then a star. I think that's just space gas or something. But that's a that's a good point. But in a perfect sphere. Well, it looks pretty perfect sphere-like to me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Is that supposed okay. to be some side of... Oh, okay, so let's just talk about that. So they somehow rigged a quantum torpedo so that it would explode... Oh, that's the, in a, that's the shockwave or whatever. Of the I don't know. Or something. I don't know. Oh, okay, okay. Where it would mostly explode in a different dimension. Is that what they said? Yep, that's what they said. Okay. And then somehow... There would be, so most of the destructive force, so it would not blow it to bits, would happen in a different dimension, but there would be enough in the dimension that it would disable the ship. Right, right, right. So whether that gaseous or, I don't know, uh, is, is, that, is that supposed to be like one of those, the, the, those magic things that come off when, uh, when Romulus was, uh, or not when Romulus, when, when that, that star exploded... In the uh, in the 2009 Star Trek movie, yeah. I th- now uh, that you say that, and I can, I mean, I saw in the picture it has shroom, and then it has right. like light coming out. Yep. So I thought that was the explosion, yeah. but you're right. That could be the explosion, and then that blue thing is like, like the shockwave or whatever the yeah. EMP shockwave that's knocking out all the systems. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna ooh, go with ooh, that EMP is. shockwave. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to go with that. If it that disables the ship without hurting people. Yeah. Exactly. EMP, that would do it. All right. But just reading it, I, I did not take it that way. Reading it, I was just like, what's this planet in between the ship yeah. and Saturn? But no. Okay. It's a pretty drawing, actually. But good point. I really it's beautiful, notice, yeah. <laughs> I really didn't notice the uh, the oddness of that, that gas sphere or whatever it is. Right. That was it for you? Yep. All right. So we'll... Go to Lower Decks, number three now. This one had three covers, and they're all in the back of the book, so you can look at them. The first one is by Chris Finoglio, and it shows uh, Dracula leaping off the hole of the Cerritos, Superman style, towards the reader. And then on the hole of the Cerritos, we see the four main Lower Deckers there on the, on the hole in spacesuits. And Boimler in his fashionable Dracula cape. The second cover just shows the Cerritos crew, uh, the four lower deckers, uh, in front of a big window, and that's by Robbie Cook. And then the last cover, which I like the best, is by Philip Murphy, and it's basically the shot of Boimler going through the holodeck Borg encounter over and over again, and it shows him with all the little Borg babies strapped to his body and stuff like that. It's, It's a great picture. The writing staff of this issue is Ryan North, art by Chris Finaglio, letters and design by Joanna Natalie and Jake Wood, senior editor is Heather Antos, editorial assist by Vanessa Riel. We get a little recap of the last time when we met the crew of the Cerritos with the captain and her away team being captured and being held in a trial on the tech 
technological side of the planet Quivanti. So they're being sentenced to death for allowing themselves to be seen by the medieval-styled other half of the planet, so the, the non-technological side. The captain orders the Cerritos to stand down and to not attempt a rescue. She plans to win this through words during her trial. So meanwhile, in the hollow deck, Dracula orders the computer to help teach him everything about the 24th century and about modern technology. When the lower deckers come in to check on him, he's now like super smart and he demands a mobile emitter and blood, real blood. They agree to share what blood they can from themselves, which, you know, is a good amount between the four of them. And they say that they can create a makeshift emitter. So uh, they'll do this if he promises not to go on a killing spree. So he agrees, and then Rutherford is able to use some of the hollow emitters from the holodeck itself to create football-sized mobile emitter. Not quite as fancy as the futuristic one the Doctor uses, but uh, now Dracula can carry this large football around and explore the universe. The Quivanti ships start attacking the Cerritos again. Uh, Obviously, the captain's trial is not going too well. She orders the ship to retreat, and before Jack can make the order to warp out, the four lower deckers devise a way to help. They do a spacewalk on the hull of the ship, and they throw the hollow emitter football towards the Kavanti ship. This smaller device, and because it's not a bomb, is able to eventually get through the shields. Dracula is able to get aboard the alien ship and try to help. The Cerritos then goes to warp. And Boimler is still attached to the hole because he couldn't get his magnetic boots to unleash. So he's zoomed away while the other three are now floating in the void. Dracula enters the alien bridge and he holds them at hostage with the knowledge that he has gleamed from their computers. It seems that the tech sides were once flipped on the planet and the now uncivilized side is being kept in the dark ages and basically the civilized side is using them to kind of farm their best and brightest brings them over to their side and uses them as slave labor to create more and better tech so now that this big secret is out the captain is allowed to go free she informs the Kavanti that their application for membership is void until they can bring their whole planet together as one Dracula is reunited with his friends on the Cerritos, and he informs them that he is leaving to join the Doctor's Emergency Hologram Academy. After he leaves, the team thinks about what they can do next, and someone suggests maybe a sentient werewolf? The end. (laughs) Yeah. I think the sentient werewolf joke at the end was like, Oh, man, you guys couldn't come up with something better than that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should create a sentient werewolf, and then it zooms off, and you hear, no. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty, pretty cheesy. <laughs> cheesy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but, so now we know. So Drac turns out to be a good guy. The hero, in fact. I, I really like that part. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was not expecting that. Uh, you know, because I've seen this cover for issue three, and it mm-hmm. shows Dracula flying in space, and I'm just like, okay, so he's going to somehow leave the Cerritos. And, but, uh, and it's kind of what happens, but the way they do it, I thought it was really kind of kind of cool. Just he's You know, his program's in that little football thing. They throw it, <laughs> and it's able to <laughs> get into the alien ship. I thought that was a really cool idea. Yeah. So they were able to cobble together a a mobile emitter that kind of reminds you of the first uh, portable computers. And I've got air quotes going right now. <laughs> right. Do you remember remember those? Um, I think they were yeah. compact. Right, right, right. Computers. It basically was this big, huge rectangle, and then and then the the keyboard would pop off the the front and come down, and basically the thing would break your back. Um, yeah okay so that's a hollow emitter okay whatever Um, i thought that was really cool (laughs) well yeah yeah it's fine it's fine it's just that i mean that's not bad i mean having a little thing that's like a brooch on your uh you know on your on your chest is one thing but making it that size that's not bad for for something you cobble together pretty quick and the uh, the holographic form basically is in charge of carrying it around. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, just make it into a backpack, and then there any you hologram you come up with, you just walk around the ship now. It's not the most fashionable thing in the world, Drac, but come on. <laughs> yeah, then we could just have unlimited slave labor. Oh! <laughs> so give them a backpack. Good idea, good idea. Start going to the mines and digging out that dilithium. There you go. That's so, so horrible. <laughs> so how do you uh, like the vampire blowtorch fingers? <laughs> yeah, I got a little silly. Yeah, I, I, silly. I skipped that in the in the synopsis, but yeah, that's how he that's how he gets in by creating fire fingers. Yeah. So the great thing about like like a cartoony kind of thing like this is the plausibility. Um, minimum plausibility <laughs> needs can be like way lowered, way lowered because it's oh, it's a joke. It's, this is this is a cartoon. It's a joke. We could just say, you know, we can cover anything that, that makes no sense. Uh, right. And so yes, so he's got vampire blowtorch fingers, which lets him cut into the hull of the ship, enemy ship, to get into it. So it's like okay, I mean, he had to get in somehow. Right. So, why not? Vampire yeah, blowtorch fingers. And it's the number one sin that I have with all all science fiction stuff where uh-huh. you have somebody boarding a ship yeah. in space. Yeah. As soon as you cut it open, you know, all the air is sucked out. You're, you're not getting in that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, when it equalizes, maybe you're getting in. But you got to wait. Till... And by that time, everybody's dead. You know, what's, well, <laughs> what's the point in getting in? There you go. And if you Fair do enough. get into an airlock, you then have to seal up what you just cut open mm-hmm. before you open the door to get into the, to the next ship. place. Yeah, that's right. I mean, come on. And you see it so in so many science fiction things. Yeah, and it's just like ah, that makes no sense. But just just <laughs> go with it. Exactly. Don't think too much. <laughs> okay. So another thing: don't think too much. <sighs> that whole thing where what? Uh, and maybe I'm just not getting it. But Dracula able to raise the holographic table with all the food and stuff on it, even candles and things. 
and nothing falls over. He just you know picks it up on one end and he says that, and then and then he he realizes that he can go ahead and do an end run around the holodeck computer's security protocols and instead of directly giving him information about weaknesses of the crew or you know things like that now he can just go ahead and get the holodeck to just load him up on computer programming skills or you know whatever right um i mean was that done did Moriarty do something like that? The holograph Moriarty? Because quite frankly, this makes no sense to me. No, it really doesn't make sense. How, how he's able to get, you know, get around all this stuff. Now, it turns out to be pretty handy that he has all these computer abilities and whatever, because he's able to later you know, read the computer systems of the enemy's ship and, and figure out you know, the switcheroo that's been going on. Right. But you know, it's like, oh my God. It makes no sense that you're able to get around the safety protocols that way. Right. All right. Again, no, it, it didn't really make sense, but I just went with it. It's a cartoon. It's a comedy. <laughs> so all those computers behind him are those like supposed to be like Landrew and other sentient computers, or computers what, what are those? In which scene? In that uh, scene where he's like laughing about the, all the Dracula alterations complete. Um, oh, let me go back and look. It's, he has his arms outstretched, and then you see all these like different oh, gotcha. things behind him. Oh yeah, that's, okay. Like, feeding him the information, or I, I don't. That's really a good know question. I don't know what that. I don't know what any of that is. Yeah, I mean, he's got one of those sphere things, you know, Tesla kind of thingies with yeah. lightning going through it. Right. Which is like Frankenstein, not Dracula. <laughs> um, yeah, and that thing off to the right. That that obelisk kind of thing that's uh, like caramel colored, right? I don't know. That that looks familiar. Is it? Yeah. Is that the laundry thing? Yeah, I don't know, but it looks like you know, like the stuff that you see in that those episodes at the the Daystrom Institute where okay. we see where Landrew and that what was it um, Jeffrey Holmes one was at the end of that episode. What was this? Oh, well, that, that other sentient computer right. thing, and he's put in sentient computer jail. <laughs> right. So, I anyways. Know. I uh, don't know. But then when Dracula is, like, at his throne and stuff, it reminds me of yeah, Batman that... Forever, where the Riddler's being, like, all the thoughts of Gotham are being drawn into the Riddler while he's sitting in that, that throne. <sighs> When I saw it, it made me think I'm, I'm supposed to remember what this is. So, you know, having the laser beam coming down from something in the ceiling. Yeah. Uh, it's like, I'm supposed to remember what this is. And it's a Star Trek thing, not a Joker thing. Because uh, I, don't, I, don't underst- I don't know the Joker reference. Um, Riddler. Or Riddler, whatever. Wasn't there one where either Reg or maybe Data or something was going on kind of like this? I don't know. I, I had the impression I should have remembered what this was from and I didn't. Mm. But that's kind of cool. They got like the ice, big, huge, isolinear ships coming out from behind his uh, you know, command chair on the pedestal, kind of thing. Right. I right. thought that was. I didn't know what it was at first. Like, oh, isolinear chips. Okay, that's cool. It's supposed to be computer kind of thing. Right. I don't know. So Riddler, a Riddler thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He and. Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones create this device that uh, oh. reads everybody's minds. 
Oh. And, and the big climax he's setting in a throne like this. Yeah, I don't really. all remember. the thoughts beaming into his head. Yeah. But what, 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 what was that? So that was the George Clooney Batman. Uh, no, it's the Val Kilmer Batman. Oh, Val Kilmer Batman? Mm-hmm. Uh, something to keep track of. I really don't remember that movie very much. <laughs> all right, don't worry about it. I, I remember Val Kilmer magically being able to have his cowl turn into something that could withstand flo- uh, flamethrowers. Uh, yeah. I remember that. And that's about it. <laughs> I've probably seen it more than you have. <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. After reading this, I really want to know what color Tindy's blood is. Oh, right. Because he uh, says, uh, yeah, what does he say? Coppery about delight or something like that. So, I was so, like, so oh. what's in her blood that makes it? Copper, I guess. Which copper. Is what's, copper. You said copper. It's in ours. Well, we have copper in our. Uh... Oh, it says uh, Rutherford's. He says is has distinct iron notes. The iron, yeah, iron on the palate. So that's Rutherford's. Right, that's human. Yeah, and then isn't copper in uh, Vulcan blood? Vulcan blood? Yeah, I think so too. So okay. is her blood green too? I don't know. She is green. I don't right. Know. What, what, what about sense. copper makes green? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> copper uh, starts to oxidize, it turns green. Mm-hmm. Like Statue of Liberty. Mm-hmm. True, true, true. I don't know. Uh, Anyways, I thought it was funny how he had he could tell everybody's yes. blood had different tastes. Yes. Well, if that is your main sustenance, you're gonna you're gonna mention things like that. And I do like that they mention that because three of the characters here are humans, so no problem with Dracula liking that. But, you know, Tindy's, or whatever her name is, is definitely uh, Orion, uh, right. whatever she is, not human. So I, didn't, I wasn't sure how Drac would react to her blood, but apparently he likes it. He likes it, yeah. yeah. And I guess it uh, isn't poison to him. Right. <laughs> how do you like the Hannibal Lecter jokes with Shaxx? Uh, what was the Hannibal Lecter jokes? Oh, um... Yeah, wasn't there a Buffalo Bill joke? All right, go ahead. What? What was it? Uh, I'm not sure about Buffalo Bill, but he's tied up on like a like a two wheeler cart. Oh yeah, that's right. Cause and he, then he's got the Hannibal Lecter uh, face mask thing on. Yeah, because he kicked all their butts in the last issue. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny. So we're not taking any chances with you, pal. <laughs> we're gonna give you the old Hannibal Lecter treatment. At first, I did not recognize that at all. I did not notice that at all. And then uh, there was like a back, a back scene where you could see he was tied to a two-wheeler kind of thing. And it's like, right. oh, wait a minute. His face looks weird too, doesn't it? So I had to turn the page. It's like, oh, yeah, Hannibal Lecter. Face. Right. There you go. Right. What is uh, the commander's name on the Cerritos? Jack. Jack what? I could not remember his last name to save my life. And I didn't. Oh, Ransom? Ransom. Yeah, that's it. Jack Ransom. Pardon me while I work on my packs. <laughs> I like that character. Yeah, it's pretty good. I, he's obviously Riker, and I always like the Riker character. So Now, I haven't finished Prodigy yet. Uh, uh-huh. But did you like what they did with Akona? Because, you I mean, speaking of being a almost Riker. Um, nah. <laughs> Only in a different way. Right. The but actor he was almost really, Riker. really dumb. 
and I did not I did not like the way they they portrayed Okone so far. I don't know if he comes back, but um, well, they had what I've seen like, of him, I was they like, had him in two or three episodes, right? And I, I didn't, he didn't strike me as dumb. He just stri- struck me as just a um, you know a con man. But when he goes onto the proto star, he's almost like this thing can go faster than warp five. Like he's never heard of anything oh, going faster than warp five. And yeah. I'm just like, what? Are, this is not the Akona I know. No, no, you can go faster than that, pal. Right. You've been on the Enterprise. Exactly. Enterprise D. So. So I I, I don't know. I, it, it's like any of the the writing on any of this stuff. It's cartoon stuff. They, you know, they play loose and free at times. Right. But Akona was mostly a, a bit of a con man, although he did seem like he was helping them. Right. You know, not, not necessarily trying to get something out of them. But in the end, when things got nasty, he, he took care of himself and, and got the heck out of Dodge. Failed, yeah. Right. So, you know, that's not all that. That's not, mm, that's not really that inconsistent with him. Mm. In my opinion, but. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It was just, he just seemed like he didn't know how. Stuff at times. Well, I'm just like, yeah, you should know this because you were, you had your own ship and stuff. Well, well the warp five thing, things. I agree, but yeah, yeah, I mean, he 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 was flying around in a rust bucket, right? When they when they first came up on him, some kind of hauler ship or something, which was slow. But that doesn't mean he doesn't know ships that can go faster than warp five just because his is a rust bucket, right? Yeah, I agree with your comment there. So at the end, when Dracula's talking about, you know, hanging out with all the other holograms, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in Starfleet or the Federation or whatever the heck it is, he makes a comment about Sherlock Holmes kissing a, a Cthulhu. Right. And, or if I, I, I'm probably not pronouncing that right. Yeah. And it was like, um, it's like, really? Okay, so... You know, Sherlock Holmes is one character, type of character. We all know Sherlock Holmes. And then the Cthulhu, you know, which was an H.P. Lovecraft monster kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, it just seems like obscure references. Right. Uh, and, and if the main point was to have two things that are very, very different from a, um, uh, a narrative character standpoint, well, I guess mission accomplished. Sherlock Holmes is quite different from the Cthulhu. I just, I just thought it was odd. Well, and then it has that little like footnote at the bottom. Be sure to check out our spinoff comic, Public Domain Characters in Love. Oh, ha! Um. <laughs> public Domain Characters. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they're both. It's fine. They're both pu- public domain characters. But, but still. But I didn't think I didn't think Cthulhu was yet. So that that was one of the things that I, oh, I thought was well, a little funny is that I'm I'm I don't think Cthulhu is technically public domain yet. Oh really? Yeah. Well, I mean Sherlock Holmes just fully became public domain yeah. this last year. The the and, last uh, the last book was finally public domain as of yeah. uh, 2020. And wasn't the family estate trying to fight that tooth and nail? Yeah, of course they <laughs> they always do. Right. So H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. What was what was his time period? Uh, what, was it that far off? It from, was the uh, fifth. It was yeah, yeah. It was the fifties and forties. Yeah, so yeah, I think it, it was a little bit later than 
than um, okay. So H.P. Lovecraft lived 1890 to 1937. 1937. Okay. Yeah. So he was probably you know ch- ch- uh, probably early 1900s. Mm-hmm. So when he was 20 or so. So uh, 1910. Well, he died really. Yeah, he, he died really early. Okay. Well, well, he was 47. Yeah. When he died, that apparently. seems early to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but. Okay, so he was doing his thing. He was probably starting to write stuff when he was in his 20s, I'm going to guess, unless he was a late bloomer. All right, so you're saying that it should be public domain now? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, Arthur Cannon Doyle, so most of his stuff was in the uh, late 1800s? Right. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. I might be wrong. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're we're off in the weeds. Okay, and, and, and quite frankly, and it was a joke. To, to remind my oh, sorry, to remind myself of what a Cthulhu looked like, because mm-hmm. um, I've never, I, I quite frankly, I've never read H.P. Lovecraft, but I've, right. I, I keep on hearing references of Lovecraftian monsters and things, right. so I'm familiar with what a Cthulhu is. But I did a quick little, uh, you know, internet search, and uh, just to see some photos, and it's like. Uh, the Cthulhu's main characteristic, as far as I'm concerned, uh, are his whole lower face is tentacles and stuff. How would you kiss that? I don't even know how I begin to kiss that. And I mean, I think of kisses as being in the mouth. Sure. And it's like, look at this Cthulhu. You got to get past an awful lot of tentacles to get to the lips. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, maybe each little tentacle, you just kiss each little tentacle. Yeah, well, you don't have to touch lips, but, I mean, they're kind of, I mean, aren't they kind of trying to... Yeah, yeah. Trying to do some kind of romantic thing? Sure. Anyway. Yeah, it was funny. Yeah. Yeah, Cthulhu's are uh, pretty cool looking. I mean, again, it just depends on who draws them, but it was an interesting idea. Yeah, and he... And they're supposed to be huge, so how how would a little human fall in love with a Cthulhu? I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, are you done with uh, the Sherlock Holmes Cthulhu thing? Yes, I am. All right, so I'm all done. <laughs> I didn't want to didn't want to cut you off if you had more to go. No. All right, so uh, what do you think of the whole alien plot? So flip, it, yeah. it took a whole it took a whole stinking page to explain it and keep it straight. I thought it was a little convoluted, but it reminded me of a lot of things that I'm seeing in modern stories, which mm-hmm. is another example where people that are moralists, aggressive, they'll do anything. And they don't really have many moral boundaries. How they'll be able to take advantage of people that are not as aggressive, uh, not as moralists. And uh, that's what they're saying happened here, basically. Right. And it just reminds me of... Not all, but many rich people. Oh, contemporary rich people. Contemporary rich people, yes. Because mm. some of the people that are rich, if they didn't get it from mommy and daddy, many times uh, end up getting their wealth because they're basically willing to, you know, do anything it takes. Sure. Uh, extremely litigious screwing over people and if they don't like it well they can try to let's see who has more lawyers right right and and uh i don't want to point out anybody who might have been a former president but uh there are people 
Yeah, get rich that way. Uh, Glass Onion, that movie that just came out. Oh yeah, recently. That's completely. That's exactly what it's about. Yeah, that is what it's about. Uh, yeah. So Bruce Banner is quite a jerk, and basically takes advantage of, you know, the people that he was working with, uh, and becomes the uber rich person at on the backs of other people's work. Right. Right. Uh, Edward Norton, by the way, the actor. Um, and then the same kind of thing happened in Breaking Bad to Walter White. Um, mm. And, um, you know, that's all, you know, those are all stories. But sure. look around. <laughs> I mean, a lot of the people that are rich are basically more aggressive than other people. Right. Although not always. I mean, they're, they're rich people that earned it. Sure. So. But, but in this situation, this, yeah. this fictionalized planetary scale one. Yeah. Um, Seemed a little extreme in yeah. that you go and you take over. They were the uncivilized medieval ones. Mm-hmm. They find like this, pirates almost. Right. So they find this technologically advanced one. They, they overtake them, mm-hmm. take all their stuff. They're peace loving. Yeah. Force them to go into a medieval time. Mm-hmm. But then they still like pluck their smart ones out to then create tech for them. Yes. So ongoing. that means that they, they haven't backwards engineered anything. They just try to find somebody that's living in the dark ages, but shows mathematical skills. So they pluck them out of their current place and make them work for them. It just seemed a little weird how they could perpetuate that. Yeah. How they would have to steal well. steel from the other, the other race to uh because they couldn't figure it out themselves doesn't that seem weird well i mean they're i mean they're supposed to be the same race aren't they ultimately at some point in the past uh right okay and then they well, were separated the wrong word. uh nationality okay so i mean no, I, well, I, I, if, I yeah it is kind of weird but if if the federation suddenly shows up today in their all their tech to us and say like you used to be like us but we made you we made you, you know, become start over technological wise, but we're going to still use you to help fix our warp engines. It just doesn't make sense because, you know, we're only as smart as we are now. Not, we don't have 24th century smarts. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It just seems but, weird that I mean, I could see taking them out of that their their place so that they can't get more advanced. Right. right. But not to then use them to help keep their own society going. You know what I mean? That, that's what I'm saying. Well, I think they were able to... I mean, they stole the technology from those people at that level. And maybe the aggressive ones never quite had the talent and brains to take it even further. Because that wasn't whatever reason their talent. Their talent was belligerence and, you know, taking what they want, screw over other people. So if they want to go any further than that point when they first talk, took over the peaceful people, mm-hmm. then they need to, they, they, it sounds like they couldn't do it themselves. I mean, they could maintain what they got, but they, to go for even further, it sounded like they had to uh, tap the more talented nerd population. Right. But that's what I got out of it. I mean, yeah, whether that what makes sense, it but yeah. it, it, seems like, it seems like a very difficult thing to manage over time. Right. It just seemed like the guy that they beamed out in the little example, mm-hmm. he already looked like he was like a teacher or something. Mm-hmm. So, and then they beamed him away. And so he's an adult 
that only knows as much as, you know, pitchforks and torches. Right. And now he has to learn all the way up to warp drives yep. and then further. And then take it even drive. further. Yep. That's yeah, right. good point. That, that's, what, that's the part I had. Good point. Do. That doesn't make I can understand sense. maybe like taking them as children or something. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But he seemed like he was already their teacher. Yes. Okay. And then kidnapping them and turning them into indentured researchers and leaving their parents to craft legends of vile, capricious, child-stealing witches. Hmm. Right. So the dialogue kind of makes it sound like he might have still been a kid, but he looks older than the other kids in that Exactly. That is confusing. Anyway. Anyways, and then my last comment, uh, I don't know if you have much more you have, but when Boimler was still on the hull of the ship when it went to warp drive, uh-huh. I just wonder how that how that worked. And why? I mean, was that necessary for the storyline? I, I mean, did, Boim- did Boimler have to be behind on the Cerritos to make all this work? I don't think so. No. So it's something that happened, but it seemed kind of random. It did seem random. Mm. But I'm just wondering, I mean... Does, would that mess up your brain if you're out in space with the the warp bubble and all that stuff on, and you're on the outside? I don't know. I would think that there would be some radiations at play and stuff like that. I don't know. It's a, it's a cartoon. It just doesn't seem like you would come out normal. <laughs> That's what it seems to me. Wouldn't be normal. And one of the very earliest Star Wars novels... Mm-hmm. Uh, Han Solo at Journey's End or okay. something like that. Star's End. Okay. Anyways, there's a scene where Chewbacca's working on the Millennium Falcon mm-hmm. while it's at, in hyperspace. Oh. And it kind of talks about how the space around him is all wild and crazy. And I'm just like, that doesn't make sense. He'd be dead. Nah. <laughs> so when this happened to Boimler, all those, all those childhood thoughts of that, that book. It's like, yeah, he's dead. He can't live. Even if he's wearing a cool cape. I don't think it would help him. Enough random crap. Sorry. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I got a question. Mm-hmm. The third cover. I guess the real retailer inside of cover. Oh, yeah. I like that one. That shows Boimler running through a Borg cube, and he's got all these baby Borgs tied to him. Mm-hmm. So is he rescuing? The little baby Borgs? Or does he have them all tied to him because he knows the Borg won't shoot him for fear of hitting the babies? Well, there was that one episode where he kept going through the command module Uh hologram over and over and over again. And then that was by the time when he finished and he was getting 100%, that was what he was doing. He was saving all the Borg babies. He had them all tied to him. Oh, that was an episode. Yeah, that was an episode. Okay. From so this was one. this was hearkening back from an episode. Right, exactly. Okay. Okay. Yeah, cuz uh the rest of the crew, the rest of the lower deckers were up to some shenanigans or something and he mm-hmm. had to keep keep like the teacher Sure. Sure. So he just kept retaking retaking the right. command module over and over right, again and, right, right, and right, right. by the end he was like super heroic like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. It was funny. I kind now that you mentioned it, I kind of remember that. Yeah. Episode. But I still, I mean, but I, my question still stands. <laughs> so in the episode that you remember better than me, I mean, was that supposed to be yeah, he was rescuing the babies or yeah. him using them as human shields? 
He was he was he was rescuing. Them. Okay, well, that, we all want to think that, don't we? He was being heroic, not not using them as human shields. Well, yes, uh, uh, cybernetic they're, shields. They're babies, they're little babies. He pulled them out of a drawer. Ugh. Remember in that episode where we saw yeah. the Borg babies in the yeah. drawers? Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny. Was that during one of the best of both worlds ones, or was that later? Uh, that was before that. Or before. Okay. Yeah, when they were, when we first found out how they reproduce. Right, because we were wondering. And we've never they seen them again. Reproduce in a drawer. We've never seen that drawer again. What else you got? I got nothing else. Nothing. What else do you got? That was it. Okay. Okay. So here we go. Uh, lots of little drawings at the end of the issue. So that's kind of nice. I mean, what? What? Okay, I guess I do have one last thing. Cerritos replicators now serving elote, and then it's got Badgie saying something. So this is a, a corn on the cob thing with—is that butter and chives and um, stuff? I think it's mayonnaise. It, uh, uh, ugh. Okay, was that? It's a very popular. Uh, yeah, they sell it here. Do they? I've never yeah. heard of it. I've never had it, but I mean, it looks tasty. Ugh, mayonnaise? Yeah. Well, I guess you put butter on it. I like butter on corn, but mayonnaise? Hmm. Right. So I guess that's uh, that's like in Pulp Fiction where Travolta's describing how the the people in Europe put mayonnaise on everything, fries and everything. Right. Right. Yeah, and <laughs> in Japan they put uh, mayonnaise on pizza. Uh, well, okay. And pizza, and it's mayonnaise and corn. Yeah, now that I think about it, which I, I, when I first saw it, I was just like, mayonnaise and corn on pizza? That sounds gross. But oh, it was so tasty. Oh my God. Okay. It, it's just a, a flavor combination well, I'm just not used to. No. Uh, and I am used to the idea that, you know, my kids used to put um, like ranch dressing. So we'd have buffalo wings. Sure. And then we'd, you know, the pizza would come. And then, you know, they would dip the uh, pizza in the leftover, uh, you know, right, ranch dressing right, stuff. Right. And it was like, oh, and it really, that's not bad. And I guess if that's not bad, I guess I can leap, make the leap to a mayonnaise, but still. Yeah. So obviously the corn thing is a joke from Rutherford saying that uh, anytime you saw somebody with an extra pip, it's mostly because they had sweet corn on their, on their shirt. Uh, so I think oh. I think it's just a joke about that. I don't remember ever hearing that joke. Uh, so that oh, was from, yeah. the, from the series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, okay. yeah, because he has like a an extra pip on his thing, and then they're like, "Oh, when did you get promoted?" Oh, we oh, <laughs> had corn at you know we had corn for lunch. Okay. And okay. then he even makes a joke. Anytime you see a Starfleeter with extra pip, it's or an unexpected pip. It's usually uh, sweet corn. <laughs> you know, which I okay. thought was hilarious because okay. sometimes if you look in the background, people get promoted and demoted all the time. Uh huh. I thought it was funny. Okay, and that's just a uh, wardrobe malfunction. Right, right. right. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just okay. So now I'm done. You're done. <laughs> all right. Well, that was it for lower decks for now. So uh, yeah. hopefully, hopefully it comes back at some point. Yeah, I wouldn't mind a prodigy comic too. And I'm still holding out, you know, 20 years later, still what Nut Enterprise comic. 
a real one. <laughs> right. Not just that one little sidetrack thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the, what, the, what did they used to call those comics? Uh, Waypoint. Waypoint, right. Yeah, which wasn't even about Enterprise. It was about... It was about Archer. Archer as a boy with yeah. a, a, a time-traveling Porthos. There you go. I mean, it's funny, but... Yeah. Just, uh, I, think, I think they deserve more. There you go. They deserve more. They deserve more. So anyways, but next week we're going to... Um, do the resurgence four like we talked before Mm -hmm. and then also um star trek 2022 number four cool so So uh, we continue on with the synced up issue numbers right yep for a while cool just changing the stories good well i'm looking forward to that i'm looking more forward to seeing what happens next with resurgence Although I do look forward to a better explanation of the Vulcan guy and what the heck he is. Right. And, the, you know, the whole God killer thing is still yeah. really up in the air because we've only seen him kill the crystalline entity. And, yeah. and we know that he killed Gary Mitchell, but nobody else does. So. Right. What? What else? What else can they do? I don't know. We'll find but, out, though. I'll be honest. I'm that first that series the first issue mm-hmm. fantastic and then the next two eh I wasn't that blown away with it yeah. so uh, I'm hoping it it gets back to the fantastic part again cool me too I'm sure it will I'm sure it will I, uh, they're just building it up there you go world building takes time <sighs> okay well uh, I guess let's wrap it up yep thanks everybody for joining us on the review later Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.